Hello everyone and welcome to this new episode in our podcast series of Getting to Better Together, which is sponsored by the Centre for International Development, Social Entrepreneurship and Leadership, or SIDSL as we know it, within the University of the Sunshine Coast, and I'm your host, Richard Borden. Before proceeding any further, I wish to acknowledge the original custodians of this land, the Gubby Gubby people, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. This embrace of custodianship of the land by Australian Aboriginals and how it expresses foundational beliefs about the necessary unity between people and the earth is shared with those of so many other First Nations peoples across the entire globe, as it's indeed been for countless millennia. For all such people, the notion of country is an expression of interdependent and reciprocal relationships between each individual and his or her entire kin group along with the ancestral lands, which dictate specific obligations and responsibilities. But somewhere along the line, and as a matter of only a couple of centuries, the rest of us have almost universally lost this profound appreciation of our embeddedness within the world about us and our responsibilities to it, or at least we fail to appreciate the significance of that. Our seduction by what we refer to as progress of modernization is particularly amplified by the adoption of technologies of industrialization. And this has profoundly distorted our beliefs about who we are vis-a-vis the rest of nature. Our country now morphs into the abstraction of the nation state, which each of us extracts our new national identity with land now but a source of natural resources to be exploited at will, with little or no appreciation of our responsibility to maintain the sustainability or integrity of what is, after all, our natural environment. Our relationships with our environment has led, as it indeed continues to lead, to its severe degradation in many regards. And as the technologies of industrialization have become ever more intense and ever more powerful, so such degradation has accelerated to the point Now where industry itself, and especially its corporate handmaidens, must accept responsibility for helping to turn the situation around, for urgently and critically accepting that the challenges of getting to better, and to do that in collaboration with everybody else, with governments, with social organisations, with academia, with we citizens at large, and perhaps most significantly with the leaders of tomorrow and those who are charged with their education today. There is movement at the station in this regard, and as one example, the immensely powerful constituency of the World Economic Forum, the WEF, held its 50th annual meeting in June of last year, which was dedicated to what it referred to as the Great Reset. The theme was rebuilding society and the economy in a sustainable way, particularly following the COVID-19 pandemic. And it's this initiative that will form the substance of my guest interview this morning with someone who has a deep commitment to these matters with a particular emphasis on the role of education of those who will lead tomorrow. Dr Tony Richardson is an educational specialist with more than three and a half decades of experience of teaching and research. And for at least one third of that time, he's worked in a Southeast Asia context as a consultant. He is currently directing a project in Cambodia concerned with the integration of financial literacy into government schools there. Welcome, Tony. Thank you, Richard, and thanks for the introduction. Let me start by asking you to give us a brief overview of the WEF and the essence of its call, the Great Reset. Who are they and what do they mean by that? Well, from my perspective, I I believe that what they're focusing basically on is trying to address 
um, a lot of the inconsistencies and inadequacies and con- contradictions that occurred by governments during the COVID pandemic, and in particular areas that um, had quite a significant, significant impact on individuals with regards to health education in the monetary area. So what, what does the Great Reset call for? Well, I guess in a nutshell, what it talks about is for us to review some key areas with regards to um, society. And from my focus, one of those key areas relates to what uh, educationalists refer to as the fourth industrial revolution. Um, and the fourth industrial revolution emphasises things like teaching and research and service that relies heavily on, on technology. And so some examples of that could, could be the development of massive open line courses, the creation of virtual classrooms, uh, laboratories, libraries, and probably, well, let's hope not this is the case, but uh, eventually it could include uh, the, the, the introduction, introduction of um, virtual teachers. <laughs> it's hard of us always, isn't it, to think about the way the future might unfold. I was involved in a project recently in Papua New Guinea through Zoom, and uh, I was reflecting back on my on the eras of education in universities as I have seen them uh, through, I think, four major changes, and you may like to comment on that. I was an undergraduate at a time in the, in the late 1950s when science and educate science and uh, technology were just beginning to really boom post-war, so we had antibiotics and we had uh, chemical fertilizers and and so on, and then there was a stage of the information age, where computers came in and changed absolutely everything, and then the third one in this country uh, particularly was the great uh, amplification of what we did with the reforms uh, of Dawkins, and now the one we're in. And I believe that COVID-19 is in some ways a distraction from the much more significant notion of climate change. So I think we're in a fourth age. And each of those fourth ages, like the four ages of industrialization, have demanded more and more. It's become more and more complex. What, what would your reaction to that be? Well, I think it's a pretty good summary. I think that one of the challenges, though, in the context of all that discussion is how does the education system that currently operates in our environment cater or evolve in such a way that it can match what has in fact transpired. Because we, we all know that, that you know, the current model that we have is based on a Prussian model that's what, you know, 200 years old. And, and I believe Gonski in one of his previous reports you know, has said that this model is responsible for the failure you know, of, of many, many students in Australia. Um, and they aren't my words, they're, Gon- they're Gons- Gonski's words. So I think that it's always been this challenge to juxtapose how this these changes take place and also how this then is reflected in the education system. And, and one of those things that you could you could probably look at now is is um, the use of STEM. Like I've been doing some, some research looking at uh, Singapore's education system and I'm sure there's a similar sort of approach here where there's a, a massive movement towards getting students both male and female, to engage in, in a, a STEM approach. But my concern is that what could happen in doing that is that we forget about the humanities. Exactly. Because it's, it's the humanities that create, within the context of how we survive and how we live, the creativity and the capacity to analyse and to develop further these concepts. And so, you know, as a previous classroom teacher, I've taught students who have been exceptionally talented in the maths and sciences. But when it came to English, 
they were struggling to pass. You know, and the problem, of course, is that within the context of, say, for argument's sake, an engineering course, you only require a pass in English to be able to get into the course. And so, therefore, for these students, passing English was just a prerequisite to doing a bigger task, which was to do you know, the STEM activity, the, the engineering activity. But when it then became the requirement for that particular or those students, and this is an example of my daughter, she's just finished a, um, a degree in, in engineering, you find that um, it's very challenging for people to actually write reports because of their lack of English. So we have to be careful that we have to look at how the education system is operating because we just we just don't want to focus on one particular aspect of STEM and not provide a holistic approach to education which tries to give people or students a better understanding of how, as you said, how we'll be able to operate in the future because that's a challenge that we all have to face. It's really interesting. I'm in the um, STEAM stream rather than the STEM one with you. In other words, uh, art stands for, for humanities. I think it's irresponsible of us as educators to ignore the arts. In fact, I would argue very strongly that we need to do the absolute opposite. We need to put a huge focus on it. And in my experience of working in universities uh, in a number of different countries, I've been appalled by the, the loss of the so-called liberal arts, the issue not just of being able to speak in a language coherently and write reports and so on, but the whole issue of making ethical decisions and making judgments. And, and I think about engineering in particular. I mean, there are huge areas uh, historically where engineers have made some terrible decisions based solely on the mathematical and the engineering aspect without thinking about the implication of that on society at large and, you know, and, and so on. Yeah, no, that's, they're, they're excellent points. And, that, you know, that's, and that's probably what this great reset is about. Um, in some respects, is that the idea of getting people to, to refocus and revisit. I guess from, from the perspective of many people, there are concerns about the way in which there were you know, a number of inconsistencies, inadequacies and contradictions by governments to effectively address the COVID situation. Yeah. You know, and that's across the board. And I, I think that, you know, you, you, you are correct. I mean, it's, it's that ethical ethical dilemma that clearly is something that is confronting the governments today. And I mean, if we go back to World War One, right, the notion of, of a million men, now it's mind-blowing, but the notion of a million men dying in a battle, in our minds, is inconceivable today. Yep. But back in those days, people just saw life as just something that, you know, I guess was just there, you lived and you died. Whereas today, you know, governments in Australia, state governments and not all governments, obviously, but in Australia in particular, are making very, very conscious decisions about who will live and who will die. Yes, that's absolutely right. You know, yep. That's something that people, I think, are really concerned about because you know, if you look at the COVID pandemic and you look at you know, the notion of the Great Reset, it's about bringing into question what governments do and how governments act. And really, if you look at the, you know, the World Economic Forum... They're not, they're not a government, but they're a bunch of, you know, industrialists that come from many, many backgrounds. And, you know, they've got a different perspective about the world than, say, for example, you or I. We might say a little bit more, if you wouldn't mind, about the four industrial ages. I found that fascinating in the same way as when I reflected back on the eras of university education in this country. 
the same thing in terms of the of the four eras, starting with um, steam, of course, and then moving on. And, and I thought the fourth one was really fascinating from Schwab, Klaus Schwab, who's now the the CEO of the the World Education Forum, World. Uh, Economic yeah. forum. Not forum. Yeah, sorry, mate. Yeah, That's yeah, a Freudian yeah. slip, isn't it? If ever there was one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to, to the notion of, of this extraordinary complexity, where for the early ones, the early eras, we broke them down, in fact, into sciences, science and technology and engineering and mathematics and so on. And now, with these new challenges, we've got to bring them all back together again in new forms. Yes, yeah. I think the challenge... And this is, I mean, you, you can, I guess you can sort of say whether I'm right or wrong here, but, but I think the challenge is, 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 as I said to you back initially, is that we can have all these concepts that we spoke about, you've, you've mentioned, um, and all these, you know, these, these revolutions, and we see them being enacted in society through business, through industry, right? But yet the education system, like I'm sure that there'd be people out there that would disagree with what I'm going to say next, but I would suggest that in a lot of cases, that a, a teacher that retired from teaching 20 years ago could still walk into the same type of classroom in relation to you know, the, the, the number of students in the classroom, the way the seats are set up or the desks are set up, the way in which the, the content is being taught as today. Obviously, there are differences in relation to the collection of data and the use of, of you know, technology and the delivery of these sorts of things, but I don't believe that there is a dramatic change that has occurred over the last 200 years with regards to education. And I think that what this particular Great Reset is about is actually saying, hey, guys, look, you know, you've got to draw the line in the sand. Something has to be done. Like, you know, for argument's sake, we spoke about this ethical approach and understanding things. We've got students who, you know, strike and protest over the government's inaction on climate change. And you can say to yourself, well, okay, you know, that's a, a good thing to do. Like, you know, they're, they're young people expressing their ideas about what's going on. But if you, if you look at that in a much deeper context, how else could you express or get across ideas to influence government as apart from, you know, going on strike? Well, one of the ways of doing it is when you turn 18 years of age, you join that party. You know, you become a member. And, and by sheer influence, you impact on the policies of what happens. You know, to me, I think that it's this, like you say, it's this ethical dilemma. It's, it's how we use this knowledge, how this knowledge is applied, how we see a future for this knowledge. And it's not just simply about looking at something today, but projecting it ahead into the future. And I think that education per se has been, through this World Economic Forum, has been given a challenge. You know, the gauntlet has been thrown down to them. And we can see that has has occurred. Like, you know, we just spoke a bit before about, about universities. Like, you know, they're, they're, they're going to online forums. Like, you know, who would have thought five years ago, ten years ago, that universities would, would be doing that sort of thing? And so if that's the case, what does that mean for schools, the old bricks and mortar? You know, do, does the GPS schools that have these massive buildings and have that pride themselves and be able to show people, you know, these million dollar complexes, do they fall away to something where a person is sitting in a, in a little room somewhere looking at a computer and, they, you know, right. and they're just yeah. doing work? Yeah, proverbial white elephant. <laughs> yes, yes, well, that, yeah, that, that's correct. I mean, it's, it's, which then goes back to that holistic approach because, like, you know, what is the purpose 
what is the purpose of these structures, these schools? Is it to simply to give people knowledge or is it to give them a social awareness and understanding of how to interact in society, which then goes back to those soft skills, you know, which then, you know, talks about um, being able to negotiate, be able to, you know, work with people, manage people and all those other aspects, which really, I think, again, this great reset through the, the, the impact of um, its, uh, its focus on the fourth industrial revolution is definitely encouraging. I mean, for me, the perhaps unheralded part of all of this is that these people, the so-called people, you know, the, the transnational corporations, are where the money sits. And so it's not just a matter of um, promoting the whole idea of, if you will, a neoliberal agenda of focusing solely on economics and business, but the fact that if one can introduce or, I guess, further encourage a commitment to civics in the way you're suggesting that students know enough about civics during their schooling, that they are automatically thinking about, well, the way to deal with these issues is indeed to join governments or join uh, NGOs in one way or another, rather than sitting on the stairs in an active protest. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think that, I'm trying to think of it, well, I think it was Einstein said that a university or an education, whether it be university or school, it's not about giving you knowledge. It's about teaching you skills. You know, how do you apply those things? And the, the issue at hand is that I think that going back to our previous, your previous point about that holistic approach to education, how is it that as a nation, how is it as a society that we are able to create within the individual's mind not just simply the presence of themselves, but the presence of others. And so what I mean by that is, is that I'm sitting here in my office at home and I'm talking to you. But around me in, you know, in my neighbourhood, in my state, in, my, in Australia, in my country, there are millions and millions of things happening. But do I really care about those things? Well, at the moment, we care about climate change because our thoughts and our, our drive and our energy has been, has been focused on that. But why, why is that? Who's driving that? Well, I could suggest it's the World Economic Forum is doing that maybe. But, but how do we as individuals create this awareness of trying to understand what's happening elsewhere and not just simply accept what's happening elsewhere, but rather have the view of saying, well, I understand this person. I, don't, I mightn't agree with what they're saying, but I understand where they're coming from. And how now can I work collaboratively with these people to make a better world? Which is the entire philosophy of this uh, podcast series. That is correct. We really are trying to contribute as a university through a process of engagement uh, rather than simply telling uh, what we've done in the past, here's the expert knowledge, STEM generated, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. We know all this stuff we're going to tell you. But it doesn't set it into a context, does it? I mean, when people are dealing with their day-by-day -day issues, you're not going to turn to STEM. You're going to turn to whatever, opinions and judgments. You're going to turn to social media. You're going to turn to your next-door neighbour and say, hey, what? And, and I agree with you entirely. And, and this is, I think, the big challenge of, of discourse, of communication, which ironically, in the face of all these wonderful technologies we've now got, in my opinion, the quality is declining very rapidly. I would agree. I, I believe that there should be a greater focus. And again, when we look at, you know, this use of technology in the fourth industrial revolution, you know, you're looking at the capacity for students to get access to information 
um, that allows them to develop their knowledge and develop their understanding of things. Again, I, I can't quote who the person is, but I believe that there was a comment that was made with, re, with respect to the amount of, of knowledge that a, a young person has access today at their fingertips, you know, compared to 20 years ago, is just mind-blowing. I mean... Yes, yeah, staggering. Yeah, you don't, you don't, like, the COVID pandemic has highlighted, and what's interesting, the, the, the federal government produced a report in 2019 uh, looking at the, the COVID pandemic and responses from university students. And, you know, and the responses from the students were... Um, that like you know, mate, this is this is terrible. Like I don't like this idea of being online learning and having problems with online learning because I, I don't have the capacity to engage with other people and talk with other people and you know see lecture. But yet there were other universities, I'm sure, for example, Deakin and USQ, who have for thirty five years delivered online programs to their students, who may not have been included in that data collection. So, like, when you think about those sorts of things, there are some people who can survive very well in a, you know, an online learning environment where other people can't. They need that social interaction and social discussion. But the challenge then comes down to how do you make that online learning holistic because you can have your online courses, you can have your virtual classrooms, you can have your laboratories, your libraries, you can have your virtual teachers. But, but where is that the human element that takes place, that human contact, which is so essential? Like, you know, when a baby is born, what is the first thing they do? They put it on the mother's chest because the human contact with the mother is essential in that child's development. Which I guess takes me right back to where we started uh, in this particular interview with the notion of embeddedness, of kinship, of people not just with with land, important though and vital though that is, but with each other in collaboration. Tony, it's been terrific talking with you. Thank you so much. All sorts of insights have come out of that, and uh, I would hope that we can come back to you in the not too distant future to talk more about your views as respect to, with respect to, the role of education of tomorrow's leaders in a brave new world. Thanks so much. Well, thank you, Richard, and I really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk. Um, and I, I enjoy the discussions um, that we've had previously too on uh, other topics. So yeah, it's been a great, a great uh, opportunity, and, and I, I thank the uh, the organisation Sitzel uh, for providing me with this opportunity. So thank you, mate. Thanks again, and thank you everyone who has been listening with this. And we uh, look forward to hearing from you in terms of your reactions to these podcasts, and uh, at least to listening for the next episodes. Thank you so much, and goodbye.